0: Well, if you have a Bible this morning, copy of God's Word or device, I invite you to join me in 1 John, towards the very end of the New Testament, the little tiny letter of 1 John. It's actually not much of an epistle, really, rather it's a, uh, more like, well, it's a letter for sure, but it's more like a sermon, really, uh, to the, the believers there, original readers, um, Church, I'm thankful for the opportunity to open God's Word and preach to you. Uh, I often hear, just in pastoral ministry, from time to time, I'll hear individuals claim that they just wish they had instruction or guidance and counseling in one matter or another. They wish they could understand what God would have for them and how they should approach life when the storms of life hit. And, And let me just encourage you, it's not only my honor and privilege, but responsibility And when I prayerfully prepare and study to deliver to you a message from the Word of God and seek to explain the Word of God, it is uniquely and supernaturally designed for you. It is for you, church. And when you miss the opportunity to hear from God's Word, from your church and your pastor, you miss partly God's blessing in your life. And so I say that to not only encourage you in the value of this but it reminds me of the grave and humbling responsibility to open the Word of God and to rightly divide it to God's people. That's you and me. And so what a great privilege it is. Thank you for allowing me to do that. and I trust that you will follow along and diligently heed the Word of God's Scriptures this morning in First John. Our text comes from chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Throughout the better part of the year, aside from the little hiccup with COVID and rescheduling a few things, we've been studying in the evening services and the PM services. Those who, who value and come to the evening service understand and know that we have been studying First John together. It's been a series with what an unusual title. I've given it a three-word title, Life, Light, and Love, three primary descriptives of who God is is. Life, light, and love. That's the study of 1 John, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a, it's a warm, loving, comforting, assuring letter, 1 John. But don't too quickly allow that to sell short the depths of theological truth found in First John, the rich doctrines of the assurance of salvation, the reality of Christian living that characterizes the born again believer. First John is a wonderful little book in scripture, and I've enjoyed studying it together. I've noted we're in First in John chapter 4 because we continue where we have left off in the evenings and, and for the weeks to come as I am in the pulpit here on Sunday morning, we'll continue studying First John for a number of weeks yet as we finish up that study. So those that have not been coming on Sunday night or, or those that are guests this morning, let me quickly give you a little survey of the context of First John. What's going on? What is this letter all about? Some of you believers that are mostly familiar with 1 John or have heard of it, often what comes to mind are passages in this letter that remind you of the assurance of salvation. These things are written that you may know. These are the things that that God has shown us. Verse 15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. If you confess Jesus, it is a testimony and a proof of your love and your salvation in and from Him. These are some of the great truths in 1 John, but really the context of 1 John goes a little further than that. Written as as a damage control, really, to his readers, likely in the area of, of Ephesus. John writes to these Christians, likely in house churches, small house churches at the time, At the early stages of the church. Christians were facing a crisis at that time, and the Apostle John wrote to them to encourage them and, and, and correct what might be tempting them to think otherwise. You see, at the time of this writing, there were some Claimed Christians, professing Christians that had left the church and were going around spreading denial of Jesus being the very Son of God. There was a false teaching. There was an attack on Christianity going on. They were denying these, these attackers, these false Christians, were, were teaching and, and, and trying to fool other believers into believing that Jesus really could not be the Messiah. He could not be the Son of God. And so when John caught wind of this, he wrote back to the believers there. He wrote to encourage them. He wrote to admonish them. He wrote to to correct them and remind them of what they already knew. John's writing to them to assure them, to assure the church that God was with those who were born again. And he offered many evidences that can be identified as assurances of salvation assurances of the unbreakable security that one has in the Lord as a believer. You see, as believers, one who is truly born again never struggles with the security of believer because once saved, always saved. Nothing changes that. Amen? But oftentimes in life, When the dark times and difficult times in life and Satan loves to tempt us, there are some believers who can wrestle with the assurances of their security of salvation. And so John writes to them to assure them of these things. I was reading recently another preacher, um, um, theologian, I think encouraged some to do this. He said, take a pen and write an A next to every verse that is a clear proof of the assurance of salvation. And so you could go through 1 John and let me just rattle off some passages. Chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 19, chapter 3, verse 24, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 13, which says, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. These Verses alone in 1 John clearly proclaim the assurances of the security of salvation we have in Jesus Christ. What an encouraging book in the Bible. You can see the the theme here, the, the context of the Apostle John writing to believers. And So I would suggest to you as we've been looking through and studying this book together, the main theme of 1 John is that God is love. God is love, so children of God love each other. This is the theme of 1 John. Twice now, before our passage today, in this letter, John has emphasized that love for others is the, uh, the social mark of true Christians. Dear Christian, when you show love to me and my family, and when we show love to you, it is characteristic of a born-again believer. When we love one another. This is the emphasis of the text this morning. If somebody asked me earlier this week, if somebody was asking me as I'm preparing, what are you going to preach on on Sunday morning? I'm going to say I'm going to preach on the love of God. Doesn't that sound really simple? You know, we hear that often, the love of God. But that really is, I don't know if I could sum it up even more simply than that. This is all about the love of God. Weeks prior, as we were studying verses 7 down through 11 of 1 John 4, it's all about God is the essence of love. That because of God, we can love. God demonstrated his love in the greatest way through Jesus sending him to die for us in that sacrificial love. And then John continues on to remind us that because God is loved, because God has loved us, you know you're born again, and you cannot be deceived that you do not have salvation if you do love others. Here is the characteristic. Here is the, the evidence of salvation. We've most recently looked at how God himself established the pattern for the love that he requires of his children. And now, once again, John challenges his readers to a very high standard of love. Our day and age, in Western American vernacular, just the statement, the word itself, love, has so many different meanings. But the love that John speaks of here is a God love, an agape love. Love is not something that we, that, that we have and fall in and fall out of, but love is a choice, a decision to sacrificially love someone else, to demonstrate that love towards someone else. So those who are born, born of God have received His love, so they should evidence that quality of love to others. And Christians, you already know, we can give praise and thanks to God for the Holy Spirit that works in our lives to perfect God's love as we love others. So we're going to look at these verses, 12 through 16. The title of our message this morning, Love's Evidences and Evangelism. The evidences and evangelism of love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get any further again. Father, thank you for your word and the opportunity to read it, to study it, to know it, and to apply it. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding, that shows us where we are wrong, where we need to grow. We thank you for conviction. and Lord, the dear people here at Calvary, thank you for their gracious, attentive patience as we look at your word, word for word, and seek to understand it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Loves, evidences, and evangelism. By the way, these are the basics to the life of a christian these are just the, the rudimentary fundamental basics to every christian life this is not some high caliber christian living this is basic christian living loving one another that is basic all right? So the evidence of love. Look at verses 12 through 13, the, the first two verses in our text here. And we're going to notice that whereas in verses 7 through 11, we've been studying those most recently. If you haven't been here in the evenings, go and listen to the recordings. Get caught up. This is an excellent study of God's Word. But verses 7 through 11 is that God loves us. That's the message of those verses. And hence, we ought to love one another. The emphasis of verses 12 and 13 that we're looking at now is that when we do love one another, we give evidences of certain truths. The first truth that we see is that love evidences the truth of God's person to the world. The very truth of the person of God is shown to the world and evidenced to the world when we love the first part of verse 12 says, no, no man hath seen God at any time. At first, these words seem kind of out of place with a theme that John is speaking of here. They do not seem to fit the context, yet they very much do fit the context as we study. Earlier we read in, in uh, uh, verse 8 that God is love. Do you see that at the end of verse 8? God is love. And since no man has ever seen him, how can the world know that God is love, that this is true? Well, the world knows it when they see love in God's children, in and amongst God's family. One of the ways God reveals himself is is through the love of his people. We we can see that in sort of a, a simple way when you see uh, in, in a very low caliber love sort of a way, probably more of a, 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 a phileo love or an heiress sort of a love. But when we see two individuals together and they're holding hands or they're walking together or they sit very closely together, we, we go, hmm, there's probably some feelings between the two of them. They probably enjoy the company of each other. When you see one of my younger children snuggling up to mommy or daddy on Sunday evening or at, the, at, a, at, a, at an event or whatever it may be, or on the couch, we're sitting together watching a movie as a family, and, and they snuggle up really closely, and you were to observe that, you would, you would probably summarize that, that that child loves that parent. When the demonstration of love is shown, it's evidence of that love, it's not very difficult to see. This is really what John is zeroing in on here. A similar thought is expressed in the Gospel of John, to the left in your Bible, over in John chapter 1 and verse 18. I won't turn there, but let me note a word in that passage. John 1.18, the apostle writes there, and he says that the Son has declared, or brought him forth, him being a, a, a capital Him. The Son. That is, God has made known to the world through Christ when He dwelt among us. This is how God was made known to the world through Christ. What are the ways that God reveals Himself to the world? Well, there's natural revelation. We sang about this. We read about this in Isaiah in our scripture reading this morning. When the rocks and the mountains cry out, a mighty Creator—that's natural revelation. We can see special revelation through the very written Word of God, the inerrant Word of God from cover to cover. Every word is true and trustworthy. That's special revelation. And we can see God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the manifestation, the incarnation of Jesus Christ and His earthly ministry. Jesus' ministry was to point others to God. I am God. I am one with God. I have come to seek and to save. God shows himself through these ways and John shows us yet another way that God is seen and it is when God's people the family of God love as God loves the world goes aha this is God This is the testimony of that so the, this declaration that is God was made known to the world through Jesus Christ Jesus said himself in John 14:9 he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, hath seen the Father. If you see me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. And today, God is made known to the world through the believers who dwell in God and God in them. What an incredible responsibility, church, believers. What an incredible responsibility we have to give the world a proper perspective of God. God. The world will know that the God whom we cannot see is love when they see His children manifest that love to others. What an incredible responsibility we have. When Christians love one another, that visibly demonstrates God dwelling in us as He perfects His love in our lives. How does God perfect His love in us? When its end purpose is met. When we, recipients of God's love, show that love and manifest it to others, it declares God and that He is love, and it brings glory to His name. If the world does not see love in the lives of Christians, church, then its view of God is distorted and perverted. If the very church that Christ has died for, and He has demonstrated His love to, does not in turn obediently show love to one another as family members of God's family, then the world that looks on says, a bunch of hypocrites! How can you tell me that God loves, that salvation is offered, that I should love God when the very people that claim to be of God do not show love to one another? The evidence of love, verses 12 through 13. We've seen just the first statement, no man has seen God at any time. Verse 12, 1 John chapter 4. We've seen love, evidence is the truth of God's person in the world when we love one another. But we also see in the second part of verse 12, that love evidences the truth of God's presence in a believer. When we manifest love, it, it evidences the very presence of God in our lives as a believer. The text says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. So when we love others, we give evidence of God's presence in our lives. Since God is love, which He is the source of love, and since this love cannot come from ourselves, when we do manifest love for one another, we are clearly manifesting God dwells in us us. This is what we're showing. This is what we're manifesting. John a, 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 he presents a, a second reason for knowing that God dwells in us in verse 13, where it says here in the text, because he hath given us of his spirit. It's an interesting expression and usage of the, of the words that John uses here, of his spirit. That's what's used here. you know. No believer, no born-again human being can receive all of the Spirit. Christ alone received the Spirit without measure, measure he says in John 3.34. The Spirit which He has given to us does, does have a ministry of witnessing of the presence of God in our life, the relationship that we have with God. Paul writes of this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 as well. The very existence of the Spirit of God in my life is a a testimony, is an evidence of my being born again. And so the reason why love is a mark of the Christian is because it is the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Love is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 tells us, And God-like love, love from God, Him being the essence of love, if we love, it it is because it is produced by God in and through us. And if love is produced through us, it comes from the Spirit, who is the producer of spiritual fruit. And if He is producing fruit through us, we possess the Holy Spirit, which is an evidence of being born again. This is the evidence and the testimony of believers. We can be assured, John tells us, that God abides in us and we in him if we see his spirit producing love in us. Verse 13. Because he hath given us of his spirit. What an incredible privilege. Love evidences the truth of God's person to the world. Love evidences the truth of God's presence in the believer. And also we see love evidences the truth of God's perfection of love. It's interesting here how how God's love is perfected in us. Let me help you see some, some wonderfully helpful things here. Look at verse 12, the last part. When we love one another, his, that's speaking of God's, his love is perfected in us. It doesn't mean that we love perfectly. I do not love perfectly. My wife is nodding. Wait, no, she's not in here. She's probably nodding somewhere because she's heard this. I don't love perfectly. Every one of us can work on loving better. We look to God for the highest example of that. God is spirit, and hence no man has ever seen him. This is what John is telling us. We have not seen him, so then how do we see this? How do we know God is love? He is also love, and he has demonstrated his love historically when he sent his son to die for us, for sinners. But he is also presently demonstrating or expressing his love through believers whom he indwells. This is this continued, present expression of his love. Historical in sending his son, present in in his indwelling in us in our lives. And when this happens, his love is perfected in us. That is, what that means, that perfection of his love, is that this love finds its desired end in and through us. It is God's desire. It brings glory to Him. He delights in it. It's in obedience to Him. It's characteristic of a born-again believer when we love one another. This is where love finds its perfection, its desired end in our life. Although we cannot see God, we have evidence of His abiding in us when we love one another. Doesn't that sound a little repetitive about this point in time? Right? Do you remember in this tapestry of love and, this, that, and truth that, that John is writing through 1 John? Love is a resounding theme throughout this epistle. Love is a theme. John uses this wonderful, important way of teaching called repetition. Repetition. Love. Light. Life. You know, we can be sure of our relationship with God. Christ, because the love we have for each other means we have the very presence of God in our life. Secondly, and lastly, we see in verses 14, 15, and 16, those three verses, and then we'll stop this morning, we see an evangelism in and through love, an evangelism, a testifying, a proclaiming of the gospel. So while verse 14 may be viewed as a a further evidence of God indwelling the believer, like you just continue on saying, yeah, there's more evidence here, I'd like to to show you maybe a little bit different thrust here in verse 14. Because of what John had seen and known, let me read verse 14 first, it says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Because of what John had seen with his own eyes, because of what John had come to know to be true, he was witnessing to others that they might also be partakers of life and joy that he also enjoyed. You could cross-reference chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 4, to see this joy and this life that he was a partaker of. You see, the love of God, that was, and we understand what this means now, that was per- perfected in John, caused John to witness about the saving work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so John's report proclaimed. We read verse 14, but notice a word there, two letters, we, Do you see that? The we of verse 14 is an incredibly emphatic word. It's meant to be that way. The the we of verse 14 is emphatic. It includes John and the other eyewitnesses, those who saw the risen Christ. You see, uh, John and the other apostles had seen Christ on uh, his death, rather, The, the death of Christ. On Calvary, they had witnessed this with their own eyes. They had personally seen the convincing evidence that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and that He had been sent to die for sinners. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. They had witnessed God's love and action. They had watched Jesus pay the highest price for the life and the salvation and redemption of lost Mankind. John had seen, he was testifying to his readers. The word there, testify, is in the present tense. What does that tell us? Well, it helps us understand, it indicates that this is a continuous thing, not just once or even occasionally, not just, well, I shared, I told everybody I was a Christian once, so therefore I'm good and done. I never have to anymore. This is a a present tense, this is a continuous action. He continued testifying, not just once, not not just occasionally, but he continued reporting to others what he had seen. Jesus has died for the world. He reported this often. He's doing it yet again. The word testify means to witness. To witness. It's more than just often translated this way. Many, many times the word testify is is translated, the word translated to be testify means to witness. And so as Christians, we are to witness, we are to testify to others about Jesus Christ. Church, we are to open our mouths. We're not only to live out the gospel in our life, but we are to speak, we are to testify, we are to share of Jesus Christ. any and to all. And so we see John's report to the believers was his proclamation of what he had witnessed. And in that proclamation, there was a certain desired response of the hearers. Why did John witness of God's provision of salvation? Why? So that whosoever I believe very clearly and unavoidably teaches an unlimited atonement here that's offered to the sins of all. Whosoever, Scripture says, shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, whoever confesses this, it is an evidence that God dwelleth in him and he in God. See, John is not speaking of a salvific confession here of what we once did when we confessed our sins to God. We confessed there was nothing we can do apart from God and his redemptive offer of Jesus for our sin. This is a confession that would be a lot like an amen during a sermon. A yes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. When a preacher speaks it, God has sent his son that the Messiah has come, and that salvation has been provided for, and we say, yes, say it is so, it is true. This is the confession that he's speaking of, and he says, those who confess that Messiah is the Son of God, it is evidence that God dwells in them. Why? Because do you remember? You remember how I shared that this letter was written as a sort of a damage control because there were believers that were there were being that, that 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 those who were once in the church were trying to lead astray, saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is not the Messiah. This is just some man-made religion. He's not the born-again Son of God. He's this, this, the Son of God so we might be born again." No, this isn't. This isn't. And he writes to them and says, "No, when you confess." That Jesus is Messiah. It is evidence of being born again. Because false teachers would not do so. Verse 15. John's desire was that people would respond to the message of salvation and confess Christ. And confess in in Acts chapter 4 and verse 2 means to acknowledge and accept all that is true about Jesus Christ. It involves his person. It involves his work. It means the same thing as to believe on him. And so when one makes this confession, it is further indication that God dwells in him or her, and he or, or she in God. This confession is an indication of one's salvation. So, when, again, when John says here that the evidence of abiding in God is that we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. He means that the, 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 the confession is the evidence that you are saved. Someone else, uh, someone else has, has, has written this and says this way, I quote, Confessing Jesus as the Son of God is basic Christianity. It is not advanced Christianity. Confessing Jesus as the Son of God is basic Christianity. This confession was especially important to John's readers because of the false teaching of that day. We have false teaching like that today. It exists. It exists today. Our children hear it. We hear it. We see it. It's all around us. John says, do not be discouraged. Do not be deceived. These are the evidence of being born again. John spoke of the reality enjoyed. Verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You see, the false teachers had raised doubts in the minds of John's readers. And so... To relieve these doubts regarding their spiritual status, John again reminds these Christians, reminds his readers, which includes us, of the spiritual truth where John speaks of both himself and his readers in verse 16. And we, it's again emphatic, we, have known and believed, Do you remember when you believed? He says, do not forget. You, we have known, we have believed, that is a knowledge and faith established in the past with a present and lasting uh, result. What is it? The love that God hath to us. Or you could say in us. This is what we know, verse 16. So then the the final half of this verse reiterates and summarizes the truth of this entire section we've been looking at. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Your friends, through trusting Christ as Savior, we come into relationship with God. Amen? A right relationship with God. God's Spirit came, came to dwell in us. And as the Spirit produces the the fruit of love in and through our lives to others, that love becomes evidenced and witnesses that we are indeed dwelling in God. These are the assurances that we see this morning in 1 John. Love is the expected mark of God's presence in a Christian's life. And so let me leave you with an application, three questions to consider and ponder. I really encourage you to think on these things. In light of what we've looked at and seeing 1 John, what a, what a wonderful epistle, what an, what an incredible way to understand and know God's love, to be assured of our salvation. Let me ask you a, a couple of test questions concerning the evidence of love in our lives as believers. The first is, do you long to listen to the teaching of Jesus and his apostles teaching about him? Do you desire to hear the teaching of Jesus and his love? Another question is, when you fail in loving others as do I from time to time, when we do not love others as we should, Does it grieve you and does it drive you to run to God in forgiveness and repentance so that he might restore and strengthen you to love as you ought? Do Do you ever do that when you recognize that you don't love as you ought to? And here's the third question. Do you confess Jesus to be the eternal Son of God? and desire for others to also know that He is the eternal Son of God. Dear Christian, I encourage you to think on these things because the answer to these things, evidence, evidence in part, you're being born again and in relationship with God. You know, we as a church have been given the enormous and humbling responsibility to bear the gospel message to the world that is around us. But the world cannot know of the love of God until they see it evidenced in our lives. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and most importantly our hearts this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have been challenged, encouraged, reminded of what true love is What true Christianity looks like, how when love is evidenced in and through our lives, is produced by the Holy Spirit, that it evidences and it reminds us that we are born again. And so when we gather as a church, and when we, it takes work, it takes effort, but when we love one another, when we choose to love even the unlovable, we evidence your gospel. Oh, Lord, thank you for loving us. If it was not for your love, not only could we not love, we would be lost and we would be judged righteously. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to produce love in and through us. Help us to examine our lives and to live out basic Christianity in loving one another so the world sees your love.